Welcome to the Team Engagement Podcast, where leaders of teams share their insights. We discuss five questions in about 10 minutes, and I'm very excited to welcome our guest today. This is Prantik Mazumdar, and he is all the way from Singapore, and so I'm very flattered and honored to have him here with us. It's middle of the night for him when we're recording this, so I really appreciate you coming on, Prantik. But Prantik is the Managing Director of the CXM Group of Dentsu International. So Prantik, again, thank you for being on the show. What would you like the audience to know about your work with Dentsu International? Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, and you know, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, my work at Dentsu International essentially entails growing uh, a business group within the Dentsu International family, which has three specific arms. There's a creative arm, there's a media arm, and there's a CXM arm, which is the largest and the fastest growing part of Dentsu International. So my remit is to help grow that business across Southeast Asia and Asia Pacific. So I'm in charge of the of that specific PNL. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm sure that keeps you very busy. It does. Uh, in fact, I'm just, uh, I just got back a while ago uh, from an APAC leadership meeting, sort of uh, discussing a quick review and the strategy going forward for uh, the coming year. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you again for being on the show. Well, let's jump to our questions. Our first question, I'm sure there's been a time in your working career where you had maybe a struggle or a conflict with a coworker. Maybe briefly describe that and then share with the audience how you resolved it. Certainly. I think, you know, a conflict, uh, and there are many such conflicts, but, you know, so when I was running a business called Happy Marketer, which we eventually sold to Denso, uh, you know, with my co-founder, I think we conflict. So again, you know, I think the moment I use the word conflict, a lot of people, or even me myself, tend to perceive it like a heavy-duty argument or a fight. Uh, but firstly, I don't think it needs to be that way. I think a conflict can be fairly healthy if the, the culture sort of encourages or sort of enables and supports it. So I think in, in my example, the conflict is, has been with my co-founder simply because we come at problems from different lenses. Uh, you know, it could be, for example, the two that comes to mind is, should we focus on a specific service line or should we expand into multiple and diversify? So, you know, just by sheer nature, I am someone of a volume guy and I like to diversify and expand. Uh, his mantra was, you know what, let's say focus, let's go in deep. That was one area of regular conflict. The other one being, you know, in terms of new market opportunities, do we sort of uh, just, again, focus on Singapore and, you know, because Singapore is a small country, but uh, the purchasing power capita per capita is very high, or do we expand into the neighboring 10 Southeast Asian countries? So as you get the drift between me and my founder, he is more focused. I am someone who likes to expand, who likes to try out, experiment and diversify. So these were regular conflicts, but the way we sort of, you know, we, the way we sort of, you know, discussed it or the way we sort of managed it is I think we made it a rhythm. We said, you know what, instead of having these conflicts by chance, Let's build it into our rhythm. Let's have regular scheduled time for conflicts to bring it up so that we don't let it swell within because, you know, you don't want it to sort of create a negative energy. But moment it becomes a part of a regular rhythm that, okay, let's say Wednesday, second half, we will discuss only conflicts. We will air out whatever we feel or whatever feel we feel uneasy about or we feel there's a hell unhealthy tension about. Let's put it out on the table. Uh, Step one is that, literally acknowledge and to put it out on the table. Uh, step two, let's you know, put forth our discussion. Let's have a healthy debate. And it's fine. Then we had a process saying, look, moment it's out in the open, uh, 
a few things could happen. Either we could agree to disagree or somehow either each party will convince each other or once in a while we would get a third party, uh, a mediator, or we would get another colleague to say, hey, chime in, what do you think, right? And let's sort of break the tie. But I think the biggest learning for us was two things. A, make it part of your rhythm and schedule. Don't leave it to chance for it to sort of swell and boil up into something larger. B, uh, try and sort of discuss it like adults. And if you can't break the tie, just bring in a third third party objective voice. I love that approach. And I love that you guys scheduled time to discuss the challenges because that's something that too many people let just kind of bubble up. And then it's a problem, a big problem that gets a lot harder to resolve. So that's a great strategy for helping to resolve conflict is to just simply make sure that you schedule some time for it. Great tip. Thank you. Well, Prantik, I'm sure that you've heard the phrase, people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. What's one tip that you have to help leaders retain their talent longer? And this might sound a bit contrarian, but you know, in our business that we built in, we never like managerial positions unless and until the manager is adding value. And when I say by adding value, it's either of two things, either increasing revenue or decreasing costs. Because to me, all businesses, whether you're a hair salon or a digital marketing business or a tech business, it's run by a single formula, profit equal to revenue minus cost. So I think what we learned the hard way is I think having managers just to sort of manage talent and people management, I don't know if that's sustainable or that's, uh, that's right. Uh, because you, know, you just create a lot of fat and a lot of approval layers and a lot of hierarchies. So I think one thing that we did away with uh, and you know, to your question is we literally said, we idly don't want managers. We want a flat hierarchy where everyone is sort of leading themselves. Everyone's either driving revenue or reducing cost. Now, having said that, if you do have managers, I think uh, one thing that's really helped us from our experience is he or she is also a doer. He or she also carries a target because I think we just believe what's worked for us is leadership through action. So it's not just general managers who are managing people and managing projects. You have to lead by action. You've got to lead the pack. Just that you, just like you would do in a sports team, you you're a captain, but you're a, you're a playing captain. You have to play as well. You have to score a goal. You have to score runs, whatever that may be. Uh, but you've got to lead by action. I like that. Great tips again on how to lead and retain talent. Great comments. Question number three: How can a team build resilience? and help them kind of prepare for the future a little bit in that regard. Yeah, great one. I think, you know, philosophically, I think what we sort of uh, try and, you know, when we build organizations or teams in our culture, uh, I think there's one philosophical thing that we speak about is focus on the variables that are in your control. Worry only about things that are in your control or your influence at most, but anything beyond either ignore or escalate because there's only that much you can do. So I think it's important to be cognizant of our strengths, weaknesses, and limitations and maximize our strengths and focus on what we can influence and control. So that's one thing. And I think if you sort of imbibe that mindset in your daily habits and lives, I think automatically you build a positive mindset. You are focused on problem solving. You're focused focused on impacts and results. And you worry less about things that you can't really. And that, the more you do that, I've sort of learned that you tend to build resilience and you tend to sort of, especially during downturns or bad times, your mind automatically goes and tells you, hey, look, it's a bad time. It's an economic crisis. It's COVID. But guess what? What is it that I can do? 
can I control this? Can I influence people about this? If yes, let's take the action. Otherwise, too bad. So I think it's about having that mindset to focus on solving problems by focusing on your strengths and not worrying about things you can't control. I think that's fantastic. Great strategy. Focus on strengths and work from there. Great ideas. Great. Thank you. Question number four. Is there an example or a person that you'd like to recognize that has helped to shape who you are and, and your leadership? Yeah, I would like to call out my very first boss. Uh, so I used to, I started my career with the Singapore government. For those of you who may not be familiar, Singapore is a tiny place, but the government's hence extremely proactive. Uh, so, you know, unlike Europe, unlike US, where, you know, it's the economy, it's bottom up. In Singapore, everything's top down. It's very much, it's it's democratic, it's capitalistic, yet it's sort of centrally planned, simply given how small it is. So I used to work for uh, a government entity that helped local enterprises internationalize, take them overseas, just given how small the market is. If you're wondering, Singapore is only five and a half million. So smaller than most cities from where you guys may be based in. So there, my very first boss who hired me, Andrew Kaur, uh, I'll never forget the lesson he sort of uh, taught me right in my first week. He had given me uh, a, you know, a project to sort of work on, a concept to develop. So I came back to him with 20 reasons why that would fail. And I think I loved his response. He basically said, look, thank you. Uh, but guess what? I knew at least 18 of those. And I don't think I hired you to tell me the problems. For each of those problems, you've identified, tell me a solution or propose one. And if you propose multiple, help me prioritize and tell me what you would do. So I want to hear your point of view, your opinion, your advice. I'll make the decision. Uh, but I need suggestions and solutions. And I think that had a huge impact because I realized by nature, by evolutionary methods, we are always geared to look out for problems and the dangers by simply because our mind tells us fight or flight. What's the problem? Where's the challenge? Or where's the villain? Where's the enemy? But I think we've got to use our evolved brain to sort of, you know, if you've read thinking fast, thinking slow, how do I use system one and system two thinking to say, okay, let's take a pause. What are some solutions? They may be right or wrong. They may not work, but let's use our brain to research, to deliberate, to think, uh, to debate, uh, to come up with proposed solutions, with prioritized suggestions, uh, and then you know we can take a decision or, or a call. So I think uh, very thankful to Andrew for sort of uh, you know putting that into my mind right in week one. That is a really impressive example of a leader who knows how to empower their people and give them some autonomy and let them problem solve. I love that. You're fortunate that you had somebody that was able to help you do that. So that is great. All right, our last question. Tell us a little bit about your first job. And it sounds like we may have heard just a little bit about it. Absolutely. So yes, it was with the Singapore government with an entity called International Enterprise Singapore, now rebranded as Enterprise Singapore. Essentially, the first two years of my life was to work with tech, mobile, media, telecom companies in Singapore. And my KPI was to help them grow their international business. That could be through acquisition, that could be through partnerships, that could be through joint ventures, or could be just by finding international sales. And the government, uh, it plays the role of facilitator, but they do three things. Uh, you either provide them with uh, connections using the Singapore government is generally very well perceived and recognized. So the embassies and our counterpart, for example, in the U.S., we had offices uh, you know, in both the coasts as well as Texas, and we would use the Singapore government credibility and cloud to open doors uh, with MNCs, with banks, with telcos, with government bodies to sort of facilitate deals. Uh, we would help them find 
uh, M&A targets for acquisition. So connections is one, capability building is the other. So the government would have lots of programs in intellectual property development, brand marketing, design thinking to help enable these companies to differentiate themselves. And the third one is capital. The government would give out cash grants or tax breaks to encourage companies to go overseas or what we used to call how does a company become born global from day one? Because Singapore being so small, uh, you know, companies can't survive uh, because we just don't have a large hinterland. So the, the whole point of the government entity that I was part of was to encourage, intensifies and motivate and sort of help companies handhold them to some extent to go overseas. So absolutely fabulous because they would take young 22 year old officers like me, push them, push us in the deep and say, hey, look, here's an industry vertical. Here are 20 companies in your portfolio. Speak to the CEOs, find out how big is international business for them, set goals, and then, you know, take our initiatives, market them and figure out a way to work with our international counterparts uh, to help grow specific industry verticals. So I think it was a great stepping stone to, you know, sort of kickstart my career, to leapfrog from a networking perspective to get a great breadth. It wasn't great for depth, but it was great for breadth. You sort of understood industries in the value chain within industries. You built networks really well. You got great exposure because right from day one, you were sort of hanging out and working with CEOs and CXOs. So absolutely a fabulous place, uh, an opportunity for me to start my career at uh, International Enterprise Singapore. That, yeah, that sounds like a great job. I'm really impressed. It really was a job that gave you a whole wide range of things that you could do. So that's a great first job. Well, Prantik, thank you so much for taking time again in the middle of the night for you to be on the podcast today. How can people find you? Right on LinkedIn. So my name, uh, Prantik Mazumdar. I'm sure it's going to be in the show notes somewhere. Just search for that on LinkedIn. I don't think there are too many Prantik Mazumdars in the world from since the last time I checked. In case you want to use an identifier, just put Prantik Mazumdar Singapore. You should be able to find me and just drop me a message uh, or follow me. And yeah, that's the easiest way to connect. With Fantastic. Thank you. This is Sean Richards with the Team Engagement Podcast, where leaders of teams share their insights. For more ideas, go to teamengagementpodcast.com. And we also invite you to subscribe or follow the podcast on wherever you watch or listen to it. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great day.